Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we are watching the 1995 film Seven, or... Sesevenen, as it's spelt, <laughs> because it's one of those films with a number in the middle. A V is nothing like a seven. We'll, we'll, we'll you get... read it that way, weirdly enough. It is so strange. We'll yeah. get to it. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Anyway, we are watching Seven um, because it's turning 25 years old. And oh, wow. it is a film that people really like. Um, I have not seen this film. And joining me in the haven't seen it chair, it's a nice big chair. It's Mr. Andrew David. Hello, Stephen. I'm finally in this chair. Yeah. So rarely. Yes. No, you're usually our movie buff. But today you're our, what's the opposite of buff, I guess? Uh, Wimp? Yeah, you're a movie wimp. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> oh, no, not comfortable with that title. No. Anyway, um, Andrew, <laughs> it's f- first of all, um, it's, as a workshopper, you are someone who works in special effects. I am. I work for a local Perth company called Traumasim, and we make blood and guts for medical training. Excellent. And you have not seen Seven. I have not. And I, I know it's a film I should have seen for the if only for the practical effect elements, I just never got around to it. And I've seen like a scene here or there. Mm. I think I've specifically seen the gluttony scene, which uh, I think we'll get to. We'll talk about that later. Mm. Um, And I know bits about this film. I know what's in the box. I know it's a Seven Deadly Sins themed killer. That's about it. Okay. Um, But I figure... I'll just wait until it comes up naturally and then I'll watch it. And you have so graciously delivered it to me. Mm. Well, I'm very glad to be uh, allowing you to to indulge in these seven deadly sins. Thank you. And indeed, uh, conquering your eighth deadliest sin of not watching a film, uh, which I think in some some circles in the world, it's like, you've not seen this? What? I think they put it at the top of the sin list. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty bad. Uh, Well, joining us as someone who has seen the film, who uh, has gone on this uh, journey before it's everyone's favorite uh, lush salesperson <laughs> it is rihanna hall hello uh how are you re i'm good thank you how are you i'm pretty good it's been a while since we've had you on re so how's yeah. how's life oh pretty good i got a dog you do, I do I, right we, we rescued a greyhound his name is finn and he is perfect uh, I have to say, he, he is basically perfect. Is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he is one of the most delightful dogs I've ever met. He's, he's on his back in against the, the wall. Yeah. he's. Uh, we're, ju- we're all just going to take a moment to appreciate him. Hmm. Oh. This is very good visual content you're yeah. not going to get. I'm sorry. He looks very peaceful. Mm-hmm. So, Ree, uh, <clears throat> yes. aside from rescuing dogs, yes. um, you also come here today as our guest who has seen the film. I have. In a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what can you tell us about Seven? Um, it is, uh, it's kind of like a, look, from what I remember anyway, um, I was very young when I watched it and did enjoy it. It's like kind of spooky a little bit. It's kind of murdery and 
yeah and it, yeah it's about the seven deadly sins and uh like a serial killer who kind of goes through them and the chase to find out who he is and uh you were how old when you saw this film i think i was about 14 mm. so i'm surprised i've remembered that much yeah, so <laughs> too young arguably i think so yeah mm. but like a friend a new friend that i had at the time just loved horror movies so i was like yeah i'll come around but we don't want to play barbies no worries <laughs> let's watch seven instead <laughs> yeah. oh. excellent all right well with all that being said shall we watch seven let's, let's do, do it. it okay for those of you listening at home pop in those dvds and prepare to find out what is in that box as we watch seven or seven Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Seven. And by we, I of course mean Detective Rihanna Hall. Hello, reporting uh, for duty. Yep, and uh, Detective Andrew David. Hello, I, I believe I'll be the one that didn't make it out of the film. Yes, yes, and I am your uh, your podcast captain who's going to uh, pick up the phone and go, this isn't even my desk, and put it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Andrew, that was your first time watching Seven. Yes. What do you think? Uh, enjoy would be the wrong word i feel mm-hmm. it was a very well-made film mm-hmm. um and I, I guess i did enjoy it but it was a tense time the entire time mm. yeah yeah uh this was my first time watching it i don't know if this is an overreaction but that might be the best film i've ever seen wow, um, wow. or at least that's the feeling i got about two-thirds of the way through i was like this is incredible <laughs> uh and when it finished i was like yep yeah. It stayed incredible the whole way through. So, okay, best film I've ever seen. It probably isn't, but... Just, <laughs> Riding high. Just this the, moment in time. <laughs> yeah, just, just in the afterglow. I really do love a good detective story, a good oh, yeah. murder mystery. Good I, I really appreciate line, yeah. when they're well told, and when they're well put together, and I just had an absolute blast. Um, even, uh, even though... Yeah. I didn't enjoy it in 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 that same sense. I'm yes. not sitting there going, "Oh boy, this is fun." Oh, how did this person get mutilated? <laughs> um, but it's 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 the way that it's presented, and it is that one continual line of tension throughout the film, and it just doesn't break. It really doesn't. Yeah, it starts off that way, and it just it literally just keeps going and keeps going and building and building, and, and then, then the exponential curve at the yeah, end. That's yeah, that's it. And, you know, trying to think of moments where it's not so much that the tension breaks, it's just that they almost, like, turn the the the, the noise of it down a little bit. Like in the 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 scene where Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt are shaving their chests to put the, the wire uh, t- microphones get taped to them. You know, it's like, a okay, it drops a little bit, but then the very next scene, it's right back up. Um, yeah. Rhea, you, you watch this as a 14-year-old. I know. And the whole time watching it, uh, this time round, was I can't believe I watched this as a 14-year-old. But I think, to be honest, I didn't remember a lot of it. So I think the main things that stuck in my mind, well, how I remembered the movie was it was just Brad Pitt, no one else. <laughs> uh, that might be because you were 14. Probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the gluttony scene. Mm honestly swore it was baked beans not spaghetti mm-hmm. uh and i remembered the very ending with well, i won't spoil it but i mean i suppose we're talking about it so yeah we were okay the it. head in the box yeah 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 what's in the <laughs> that's box that's all the three things yeah. that i remembered about this movie yeah and 
I suppose now that you're, you know, a little bit older than yes. 14 mm. and, and reflecting on it, do you think it affected you badly in any way? Like, it, this seems like a very hardcore film for a 14-year-old. Yes, but no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it probably went over my head and mm. I was... I could have been distracted partway through the film. Yeah. I don't know. Because I did not remember some of the bits, especially the um, the scene uh, where the sex worker was murdered. Mm. That was horrific. And that, I, was that did not stick in my brain. the most brutal part of the film. Yeah. And they don't show anything there, really. No, mm. but... They show you Oof. what was used. Yeah. Everything else is covered. Uh, and, and it's horrific. And that guy, the acting, the, the guy who yeah. was forced into the act, mm. he's acting was horrendously good yeah yeah and i i have to say so i i've 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 played my cards up front i really like this film (laughs) but the 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 acting in it is one of the things that really just Mm. captivated me i mean obviously you know morgan freeman good at acting and that's Mm. a shocker but Mm -hmm. but he is very well used in this film like he is he's he's just so wonderful as this sort of crumpled paper bag of a man where he is just he's he's almost dead while alive um and he's just you still want him to win you still want him you're still rooting for him but you can just tell that his his flame has completely gone out well and the problem is he kind of does win in the end his argument about what how the world is him saying it's a crappy place and you, you shut down eventually and brad pitt saying no, we there's hope and we can be heroes. Mm. In the end, he his argument is proven right. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, Brad Pitt as well. I have to say, um, gr- growing up in the nineties and and the two thousands, you see Brad Pitt and you think, oh yeah, hunky man, just being a hunky dude. Like a lot of the reputation that I had of him without seeing these films, which kind of made him famous, was just. He's just a good-looking guy who's good-looking. And that's yeah. what, you know, you see things like the Oceans films and you're like, ah, yeah, he's just a bit of a laugh. He's really good in this. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, 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 that sort of brash hmm. cockiness that, you know, the, the rookie, you're not right for this job kind of thing. He played it in a way where I, I was fully on board with it. And they don't focus on the hunk in this film at all. Hmm. Uh, no. They kind of... I liked his wardrobe because all of his outfits, his shirts and his jacket seemed too big. Mm. Like he's literally, he's, he's a kid trying to play at being an adult. Mm. And it's just, he's not ready for the world yet. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, 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 it, it's just really wonderful how he plays that as well, where he does have this idea of justice, that mm. it's a thing a real thing and it's his job to go out and get it to mm. squeeze it out of crime or however. And anytime they have to do something not quite above board except when he gets angry of course mm. he's really squeamish about breaking the rules and it's yeah. like is that legal and Morgan Freeman's like that's not how the world mm. works anymore but then part way through the film he he pays off that that lady on the street to say a statement to, so that he can justify breaking into John Doe's apartment mm. and he's he's it's begun. You, you can almost see Morgan Freeman's face where he's like, he's he's changing. Yes. So even he falls to the corruption that he's trying to avoid. Mm. And yeah, I, th- I think it's... I, I think those two are just really a wonderful partnership that I, I've really enjoyed watching. Yeah. They work so well together because they are just like so opposite, but uh, 
I think start to feed off each other a little bit as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, Kevin Spacey. Yes. This is the first film in, I think, three and a bit years of this podcast that we have actually had Kevin Spacey play a significant role. Mm. And obviously the person, Kevin Spacey, is somebody in 2020 that is uh, persona non grata, I guess, <laughs> um, is the nice way to put it. His acting is really good, um, as as John Doe. And I... I think he was very well cast in that role. Yeah, he, he. It's very weird watching this and knowing that he's a horrible human being mm. playing a horrible human being. Mm. Uh, it, it. It's weird. It almost adds an underlying uh, ickiness to the character on top of the fact that he's a horrible character, and like just from the moment he comes on screen, it's like ah, it's him, mm. Mm. and he he plays the job very well. But mm. of course. It's marred, but because of the nature of the character, mm. it works for the character. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like uh, maybe it's because I really just don't want to praise him in any way, mm-hmm. but I feel like give that role to any good actor and like they're going to do it justice. Like I can imagine so many other actors in that role as mm. well. So yeah, I think that's um, fair, especially yeah. from that, that period of time. Yeah. It's, yeah, it is very hard. Yeah, it's tough. To, to, to give praise. So instead, uh, I think we can just say, he did a good job. Yeah, okay. Kevin Spacey is in this film. Yes, and is part of it full stop. Uh, (laughs) The entire time watching, I was like, I'm pretty sure Kevin Spacey is the killer at the end. Mm. But I'm not sure, and I'm hoping I'm wrong. Mm. And then he shows, I'm like, okay, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, the, the whole cast... Are excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, John John C. McGinley as uh, as California, uh, better known to us as uh, Doctor Cox, yes. <laughs> um, just some meathead yeah. team cop. He's he's so wonderful. Just like and he's got war paint on in the, in the <laughs> helicopter. He's in a helicopter. Why does he need war paint? <laughs> yeah, but he's like he's just this like weird, weirdly macho kind yeah. of um, part of the film, which I think is nice because. The the way that uh, the characters of Mills and particularly uh, Somerset are set up um, is that they are not um, they're not traditionally macho men mm. like, like Brad Pitt is like you know young and brash but he's not like I don't think we ever see him pumping iron in this film. No, he's not like the flat the Fight Club version of himself. No. Is yeah, he? yeah, yeah. He's like he plays with his dogs. He drinks yeah. some beers. He does he does guy things. I guess Ew, uh, yeah. you know where he like you know yeah. he's watching basketball while he's reviewing his his case. Yeah. But he's he's not not to the level that John C. McGinley is there. Just like dicks get in him. Ugh. I quite enjoy the the different levels of law enforcement in this uh, mm. movie and and how it does paint them all as completely separate, even with each other. Like you've got yeah the dicks, which are the two main characters. Um, and they are, you know, be- probably because they use their brains instead yeah, the, of their the muscles. The team and, and the, the street cops are really <laughs> yeah. not portrayed in a good light. No. Like, the fir- every street cop you see in almost every scene, they're being told off by Mills for something yeah. they've done wrong. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then the SWAT team are just a macho group of cowboys just ready to break down door. And even Mills and... um. Somerset are just like yeah they're like they love this they're rolling their eyes like <laughs> yeah. they love doing this part of the job mm. um so the murders B 
because yes. obviously this is about a serial killer, mm. uh, a serial killer themed around the seven deadly sins. Cool idea. Mm, really um, good idea. Uh, I think you know, for, not not a cool idea in real life. No, no would be oh, serial no, no, killers. No, 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 no. Please, please don't be a would be serial killer for one. Uh, but but I think for a film and for a story, I think it fits perfectly with that idea of there's a pattern that we know. Mm. Um, and certainly that um, Somerset clicks into very early on. Yeah. And a pattern a that sequence, most yeah. Western audiences would know and can yeah. click into. And like, you can work it out before some of the detectives have, because yeah. it's, we, we know that I think as soon narrative. as you see, yes, the words greed, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's that's already part of a sequence. Mm. So, like, here we go. Like, and of we course, know that we, we go in be... with the knowledge that it's called, mm, seven. called seven yeah <laughs> yeah but but i mean that said i didn't realize it was a seven deadly sins thing mm. until um doing a little bit of research for this film mm. i was just like ah, seven yeah that's a name of a film like it, it just it it never quite clicked with me and i can imagine going into this film in in 1995 not knowing anything mm. yeah. and that being revealed very early on going ah ah seven seven ah. Ah. um but yeah, now now I'm looking at the the, the title. It's it's bleedingly obvious. <laughs> um, but the the portrayal of the the crime scenes and and these murders which had taken place, um, how was it as a first time viewer, Andrew? Every single crime scene was distinctly shocking in different ways. There was something very distinct about every crime scene, and you can tell either David Lynch or the production team spent a lot of time thinking about these sets because mm. the actors are going to spend a lot of time in, in most of those sets and really constructing them in a way that tells the narrative of the people that are the victims of these crimes and also the the causes that led them to their fate at the hands of John Doe. Mm. I thought all of them were marvellously executed in mm. a horrifying, disgusting way. Yeah. And just just in terms of the set dressing... Mm. Uh, I, I mean, murder um, and, and the way murder is portrayed in films and on television um, has, has got a lot of very distinct styles. Obviously, in something like uh, Hannibal, uh, the TV show, it's yeah. it's portrayed as almost being art. And then there's other shows that just show it as being quite clean cut. You know, something like an NCIS, you might get a little bit of pool of blood and that's usually about it. Um, I feel as though... For me, the whole city felt like a crime scene. And we just descended into little, like, darker, more dense, filthy bits. Mm. And I I just really loved the way that they shot that. Yeah, it it was almost like there was no relief in the entire film. Like, there was no... Okay, and now we're going to cut away to someone's lovely apartment There's because no even the space. places where they lived mm. you know there was the train going through one people practically outside yeah so it was literally the whole film it, yeah was a murder scene basically mm. <laughs> and i mean the the only real sort of ray of sunshine in this film is is tracy gwyneth paltrow's yeah. character but that's mo- mostly just because she's the only character not involved in the murder investigations. Yeah. Well, for uh, well, for, for the majority of it. <laughs> but but also even her story in this, which is you know quite small but impactful, is that she's she's scared. Mm. She's she's going to be having a baby, and she's moved somewhere quite clearly against her will. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, she's she's. I, I think it's yeah. It's yeah. we've moved for. 
it, you know, the, my husband's career, mm. which it like pays the bills kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of seems a lot like that. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, amongst all the great acting in this, that scene in the diner mm. with her in Somerset, um, obviously we're, we're quite focused on Morgan Freeman telling the story of, you know, he, he used to have a partner and they were going to mm. have a baby and he didn't want it. But I think her sort of, her, her responsive acting in that scene is just lovely mm, the mm. and you know you know Gwyneth Paltrow these days gets laughed at a bit for for her uh, online commercial uh, activities with her lovely candles yes her eggs and uh, things for your uh, nether regions and, and things like <laughs> that but but it, it, it's just nice to be reminded that mm, yes uh, Paltrow can act oh yeah and um, yeah she's she's just very watchable she, um, she is yeah yeah yeah, she's very, she's just got a nice face, hasn't she? And yeah. she she works it well. <laughs> yeah, she sure does. Um, now, Andrew, you work in making uh, simulated body parts. Yeah. And this film featured many simulated uh, bodies and body <laughs> More parts. More than average, I'd say. Um, was there any one in particular that um, that I guess made you, piqued your interest in a professional capacity? Definitely the sloth. Mm. scene yeah uh the the man who'd been strung up uh dosed in his bed for a year mm. and just slowly rotted away in the bed but was still alive when they found him mm. uh that was one that i looked at and immediately was like oh i wonder how they did this i'd love to uh see some behind the scenes footage of that because looking at it the, the the problem with uh makeup effects is that you can only build up so if you're trying to give the the image of depth on something, you have to build up and then re- retreat around it. So if you want to have sallow cheeks, you have to build up like the cheekbones and, and the nose and that kind of thing. Mm. That The man in the bed was so very thin and sallow that I, I think it was a puppet. And by the way he moved around, mm. it looked like it was puppeteering, but it was a, a beautifully, again, horrifically, beautifully constructed uh, puppet in my opinion. Would you like to know how they did it? Please. Ooh, I here's, would. here's how where we tell uh, how professional I truly am. Uh, I would like to reveal that there is no animatronics. <gasps> yes. Wow. Um, the victim tied to the bed for a year was a very skinny actor who was made up to look corpse-like. Uh, Rob Bottin used a set of exaggerated teeth oh, to make Bottin. the head look smaller and more shrunken for malnutrition. Oh, wow. So they use lots of perspective tricks like that. Mm. Uh, Rob Botton is a name you're familiar with? Uh, I believe he did the effects on The Thing. Ah, right. There we mm. go. Yes, which is, again, great, yes. great effects. Um, uh, David Finch, the director of this film, said that he wanted someone who was incredibly skinny, around 90 pounds, to play Victor. Uh, the actor Michael Reed McKay auditioned. He was 96 pounds at the time. Uh, Fincher gave him the part and jokingly told him to lose some weight. McKay lost the six pounds. Oh my though. god! He thought he was being serious. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. So um, he he spent over fourteen hours to get into the sloth makeup. Yeah. Um, and it's disgusting mm. and it's gross and it works so well. And you don't even see it like that for that long. Mm. But it's enough that you you take in as much detail yeah. and you feel in everything else that you don't really clock. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was that was that was. A, a person yes in and amongst all that not person that was there that's very impressive mm. um I, I i also do have to say that that initial 
crime scene we go to with the glutton. Mm. Um, mm. They're really ripping off the band-aid with that one. Yeah. They do, yeah. With all the bugs crawling around and just, you know, just tins of spaghetti um, just all Not over beans. the apartment. I mean, they, the tin looked a bit baked beanie. I'll give you that. <laughs> and they don't really show the spaghetti because they kind of just pull his face out. And that's the thing. Like, in my mind, like, there was beans coming out of everywhere. <laughs> So I don't know what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Maybe you just wanted beans. Maybe. 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 Um, but again, just just the the whole care and attention that's clearly gone into this. It, it it just feels as though there was a lot of thought that went in went into this film that has been captured on film. Mm. Um, and sometimes I feel as though films don't quite capture that. Sometimes mm. it could be like, oh, we thought all of these things, but it doesn't quite end up on the film. This one, I feel as though. It almost feels like there's not a wasted shot. You could see all the money they spent in the frame. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a story of Mills and Somerset. Um, one happy-go-lucky, one not-happy-not-lucky cop. <laughs> um, and they they try and bust the killer. Uh, John Doe um, is, is discovered to be a man named Jonathan Doe, uh, who they go to his apartment, almost get killed when he sees them and shoots, and they have a pretty excellent chasing yeah. for a good 10 minutes um and then they they break into the apartment and it's i, I know we've just praised the set dressing but but what a spooky apartment really mm, yeah um yeah i kind of think i'm like did, did he actually live there or is that just like that's his his lair mm, kind his of murder apartment yes his murder apartment because they did say he's quite wealthy didn't they yeah he could yeah he could have been yeah. somewhere like I guess normal that he lived. Maybe you never know. And that was like his office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, like... I mean, he couldn't take a bath in this one. There were photos developing there. That's true. You know, that's true. And he looked pretty clean when he, he handed himself. I mean, he was covered in blood from the fingerprints. And, but he, but yeah. he looked reasonably like well washed, recently shorn, mm. like all of these things. Like he was someone who bathed. <laughs> it would appear. <laughs> yeah, he seemed almost clean to like the point of being a hypochondriac. Mm. The way he's completely like shaven in in all over the body mm. and the way he stands and apart from obviously cutting off the fingers mm. he just seems to like be tirelessly taking care of himself mm. Mm. and then of course it culminates in him saying there's two more bodies and i can show you where they are uh if i arrange i cut this very special deal which i'm sure legal professionals will say is oh. just not happening yeah. but yeah. um i think they justify it quite well in the film yeah um, they keep throwing out like the rebuttals and then yeah. he comes back with the loopholes to and you yeah. buy it the way they explain it yeah they question it enough to make you go okay they haven't just said this is happening yeah. without thinking they don't jump it. at it they're like this yeah. is dumb yeah. why are we doing this yeah. it's happening because the movie needs to happen but they really justify it <laughs> uh, which i think is a nice touch uh and we get to the what's in the box scene mm. uh, did you know what was in the box coming into this and yes okay so i knew gwyneth <laughs> Paltrow's head was in the box. Okay. But you maybe weren't aware of the context of who she was? I knew... I knew she was the wife of one of the detectives. Okay. Yes. Okay. I knew that going into it. And I, I was under the impression that you saw the head, because I thought there was a head prop made for it that I've seen online somewhere. Mm. But maybe Netflix doesn't show it, or maybe, maybe they didn't actually cut show or something. It. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Mm. Um, well, how... But you don't need to see it. You yeah. know it. Well, happening. I think the thing that sells it is the noise Morgan Freeman makes when he yeah. when he opens up the box. That kind mm. of noise that he makes um, is uh, that was not the noise. It was not even close. But whatever, whatever noise he made. Uh, yeah, I think that it was the 
that noise mm. and you were like okay it's a body part mm. and then and then when he looks back uh that's when you're like oh no like mm. this oh oh it's a head isn't it it's yeah. oh it's it's Gwynny. <laughs> she's in there <laughs> yeah um i i'll be honest i i i i knew there was a i, I knew there was a head in the box that was the thing i knew yeah. going in from like pop culture i didn't know specifically whose it was but knowing that it allowed me to sort of piece it together mm. when we got to hey we haven't seen his his wife for a while uh, as john doe walked into the building they're like you have a missed call from your wife mm. uh, oh yeah, yeah at true. the exact same time yeah there's it's sort of in that sequence where you're like okay so he's already put the head in the box we haven't seen the one okay i kind of i kind of pieced that together i i don't know if i would have not knowing that there was a head in the box mm. but I, I have to say it was very effective. Even yeah, even having kind of worked it out, um, I I just think this film, again, it's that tension that, that that builds the whole way, and it almost it it does this thing where it almost takes the Mexican standoff from the end of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, mm-hmm. which we reviewed recently on this program, which is why mm-hmm. it's on the mind. But it's three characters in a remote location with guns. And it's this conflict of um, of these three people, and in this and and their ideals. I think in this case it's much more about the ideals than the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. But it's this it's this situation where you you almost have a Mexican standoff that happens purely based on what is right and what is wrong. Yes. And I I didn't know what was going to happen, and I I actually thought that Somerset was going to step in front of John Doe and get shot. I thought, I, I, I kind of suspected that Mills couldn't help himself. Mm. Um, and I'm curious, what, what did you, did, how did you think the scene was going to resolve? I, watching it, I was like, he's going to have to shoot him. Like, mm. He's going to shoot him. Like watching at how angry and sad Brad Pitt is playing. And it is, it comes with fairly melodramatic it does a little bit <laughs> but you also you understand it oh yeah. you understand what's happening in his emotions and he does sell it pretty well but the entire time i'm like there's no way this man who we, we've watched throughout the film just like flip his rage switch feed off the, his emotions feed off his emotions as they keep bringing up he's not there's no way he doesn't give into wrath in this moment mm. um i wasn't sure if maybe the someone in the helicopter might shoot him first instead Mm. Uh, but I, I knew he was going to go for it at least. And, and I really liked, I got a lot out of the conversation in the car, the tension of that conversation, knowing that he had killed Tracy and the way that John Doe's like prodding him and me like, you'll see, you'll see what's coming. It, it, you'll appreciate it. You'll understand what I'm trying to do once you see what, when we get there and knowing that it's Tracy, Tracy's body is what's going to be there. Mm. Uh, it, made that scene even the tension in it even higher for me Mm. Mm. so i've done a little bit of research as we've been talking about is there a head um and this comes from entertainment weekly circa 2015 in an article that was celebrating the 20th anniversary of this film uh the finale owes much of its edge of your seat quality to the tension established earlier in the film Uh, the producer arnold Coppelson said in an email, tension was built from the earliest scenes. When the audience is finally in the last scene, it is the culmination of all that it has been carefully constructed to be. Um, 
Coppelson was one of the ending's early opposers, but he eventually came round to it saying, we attempted many different endings and none worked. It needed this horrendous event to kick off the last sin of wrath. Uh, He says he gave his okay when Fincher assured him that the audience would not see Tracy's head in the box, leaving the horror (laughs) up to the imagination. Uh, Coppelson credits Fincher with maintaining intensity at the film's end. Fincher also embraced creative risks. He employed shaky camera to enhance the action and drama and included a brief shot of Tracy just before Mills shoots Doe. I did um, see that, actually, yeah. Yeah, but it's not her head, head, head in the box. It's a shot of her. Right. Um, people are convinced that they see the head in the box, says uh, Francis Bruce, who was um, one of the editors, uh, Richard Francis Bruce, uh, just because of Morgan's performance. Wow, yeah. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. The Berenstain Bears uh, effect. I quite, I quite enjoy that, that they um, they purposely didn't put that there because they knew that the audience were going to use their imagination anyway. Mm. And that is probably even more terrifying than anything that they could have made yeah. that wasn't an actual human head. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like so much of this film does that with the crimes because we don't see any of the murders happen. No. You, you are left to imagine... The, and you the way, do. <laughs> so for example, you said the lost murder was the worst of them, and yeah. I think that is because you're imagining. Yeah. The um, I'm not going to discuss it because it's all. If you've yeah. seen the film, you know. Yeah. But yeah, the way that that is set up and the, the reaction of the survivor, and and just the the imagery that is shown to kind of let you know what the crime would have mm. been, that is way worse than trying to yeah. recreate mm. anything close to that um in 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 camera same with the glutton the man eating mm. himself to death and it's like oh that's a horrible idea 12 hours of eating spaghetti ooh you know that kind yeah. of thing and greed literally having to carve bits of himself off yeah it's i th- i think they do that really wonderful thing of where they just need to give you the idea yeah and enough syrup enough yeah. chocolate syrup yeah. in in a sort of hitchcock sense to kind of like let you imagine the horror yeah um, and it's it's remarkably effective. It's really effective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to be sleeping well tonight. <laughs> Woo! Uh, would you guys like some trivia about oh, Seven? Absolutely. Some. All right. All of this trivia is sourced from IMDb. So if it's not true, don't blame me. <laughs> uh, the first bit of trivia: as preparation for his traumatic scene in the interrogation room, Leyland Orza, uh, who played the man who oh, survived the last right, yes. uh, murder would breathe in and out rapidly so that his body would be overly saturated with oxygen, oh giving God. him the ability to hyperventilate. Oh, my God. He also didn't sleep for a few days in order to achieve his character's disorientated look. Oh it my... worked. Oh, my God. Mm. I hope he got paid, paid enough for that. Oh. Yes, yeah, so he's just sitting there freaking out, not breathing properly. I think I really enjoyed that, that this this guy's literally got, like, a not even five-minute scene, and he's like, this is my this is my thing. This mm. is my big break. Really... Um, I'm going to really method it. And I don't think I've ever seen that guy again. <laughs> it's a real testament to like all the actors in this film. Like so many of them are bringing their A game, and a lot of them just pop in for a scene and pop out again. But they mm. still leave an impact. I don't know. I agree with the it, uh, doing that to your body, though. <laughs> no, I wouldn't recommend it. I'm not going to promote that. No. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, he made that choice, and yes. he would have lived with the consequences. I don't think we can endorse putting your body no. in any level of health risk <laughs> to do a performance. Uh, Brad Pitt fell over while filming the scene in which Mills chases Don D- John Doe in the rain. Uh, Pitt's arm went through a car windshield and required oh. surgery. Oh my god! The accident was then worked into the script, uh, so that's why he's got. All the is that why he's constantly cl- like? Because I thought it was that he was because at first 
you see him like almost like holding his, like around his belly button area, yeah, and then up here or something. but that's it. And then like late, a later shot is it's it's on his chest, mm. and then a later shot it's on his like shoulder. So I was like, oh, have they just forgotten? Like, has he actually been shot and they've forgotten where it is? Yeah. Now turns out he's actually had arm surgery. Yeah, he injured his arm. <laughs> uh, coincidentally, in the original version of the script, Detective Mills was meant to be injured in that sequence, but they wrote it out. <laughs> so Brad Pitt was like, no, it's staying. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt bought his own ties for this movie. He wanted Good Mills to have poor fashion sense. That's so, so-, so the rest of it, I'm assuming, was the costume designer, but yeah. Brad Pitt picked the ties. That's great. And also revealed that he does not have good fashion sense in, yes. in the process. I'm to be honest, I didn't even notice the ties. Like, I noticed he was wearing them, but. Mm. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he's probably been dressed by fashion designers most of his life yeah so he's like i'm gonna do this for me yeah yeah uh all of john doe's books in his apartment were real and were written for the film uh so those 2000 notebooks that are 250 mm. pages so they knew exactly how long it would have taken yeah so oh that somerset statement about it is probably how long it took yep they took two months to complete and yep. cost fifteen thousand dollars <sighs> Good lord. According to Morgan Freeman, two months is about the time it would have taken the police to read all of the books. Yep. So yeah, yeah, they yeah. they actually created two thousand notebooks worth of like murder diaries. Uh, you don't even see them. And, like that much. train vomit diaries. Yeah. Yes, I was so surprised. I vomited and I barely noticed. I barely noticed. That was a weird detail, but again, very but I, yeah, it was yeah, it was effective. Also, yeah. Morgan Freeman reading it out in his lovely voice. I know it was mm. very poetic. Wasn't yeah, it? he he sort of made it. I was like, it, tell it me all... more. What else is in these books? Yeah, <laughs> he, he kind of made it work, even though it was like, ooh, yeah, ooh, what are you saying? Yeah, Morgan? that would be an interesting audiobook, I think. Mm. Morgan Freeman reading the, the yeah, murder diaries, the John Doe diaries, as yeah. by yeah. Morgan Freeman. I feel like I'd listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you'd be. Traumatized. During the day, not night yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. At like a nice <laughs> a park with birds. <laughs> uh, Denzel Washington turned down the part that ended up going to Brad Pitt. Oh. Uh, he felt that when he read the original script that the film was too dark and evil, which, you yeah, know, that's fair. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Yeah. Uh, Washington has later said that he uh, regrets this decision because he's seen it and has gone, bloody hell, that's like, a good film. Ah, damn it. Um, but. How do you think this film would have gone with uh, Denzel Washington as Brad Pitt's character? I mean, what? It was 1995? Yeah. Well, he was quite young, wasn't he? Yeah, so this yeah. would have been a f- six or seven years before Training Day. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the, the cultural impact of it being like two black police officers kind of mm. passing the baton. Uh, I'm just wondering, yeah, how that would have impacted the, the cinema culture differently. Mm. I think I, I did. I quite enjoyed that. That wasn't even really a discussion in this movie. There no. was no nothing about race or anything. And the anything. script wouldn't have changed either. That yeah. just would have been who the characters are. But it, it, it kind of just would have been yeah. different um, representation to what you normally would have gotten in those kind of films. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mm. certainly think it's a it's a good thing to question mm. um, because I think the way that maybe this movie would have been even sold in trailers. It wouldn't have been, oh, weird mystery murder from David Fincher. It'd be weird mystery murder about two black cops. Mm, I think mm-hmm. particularly in the 90s, yeah. it would have been, you know, sold like uh, bad boys for adults, I guess, or something like that. Like, <laughs> like Because th- there is a different way mm. that films are marketed based on their leads. There's definitely like an alternate dimension somewhere where that happened. Where he did take up I'd the option, yeah. love to take a peek at that. Yeah. Mm. 
Kevin Spacey, as John Doe, makes his first appearance in the film as the photographer taking pictures of Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. If you pause the film, when Pitt's character is slapping the camera out of the photographer's hand, you can clearly see that it's Kevin Spacey. Mm. Yeah, because I didn't see notice that it was him mm. before. I knew, I, I thought someone in that scene might have been important. Because as, as they're going in and the cops are telling people to stand away, there is a guy on the street that lingers right near the cops. And I yeah. wasn't sure if that was him, but he has like long hair. It's a yeah. different character. Yeah, mm. diff- but just- at the time, I was like, is that, is that him? Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I flagged at the time uh, that that was going to be... Mills' interaction with that reporter would be directly responsible for his wife's death because he yells out, I'm like, Detective Mills, I'm Detective Mills. And is like... Oh, giving yeah. him this information as a screw you moment but I'm like it's his wrath coming out mm. and he's giving away this information to the, this reporter I didn't flag at the time that it was John Doe I thought that information would get out there and John Doe would use that mm. um, the director and actors wanted the film to end with a cut to black right after Mills shoots John Doe followed by the end credits uh, New Line requested that a coda be shot following John Doe's death after poor test screenings with the dark ending. Mm. Um, the ending narration of Somerset quoting Hemingway was added as a compromise for which neither David Fincher nor Morgan Freeman particularly cared. So, <laughs> and, He's like, fine, I'll read these lines, but I don't care for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you think it would be more effective had it just ended with him shooting um, John Doe in the face? I think the coda, it doesn't make the film writer so it doesn't change that for me i I think it it reinforces the fact or the arguments between somerset and mills Mm. and it shows somerset was more right than he was wrong and mills was more wrong than he was right Mm. so it does reinforce the theme of the film for me i think for me like thinking about it if it had just cut to black as we were saying before the whole movie is just tense and you know you're like your your heart is beating throughout the whole thing i think if it was just a quick cut you'd almost be left with um like not giving your body chance for that like adrenaline to come down Mm. um so i think giving it that brief moment afterwards of everything slowing down and like there's something about cop cars and whatever like i think just cinematically that tells us this is the story's end now. And you're like, up the scene. oh, okay, I'm going to breathe out while they're doing this. A yeah. nice quote from Hemingway. Okay, we're good. <laughs> R. Lee Ermey originally auditioned for the part of John Doe. Uh, obviously, that part went to Kevin Spacey, but he was then offered and took the part of the police captain. So the oh the yeah the, oh, okay this is in my desk. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean he's perfect as a police captain. Yeah, really, but he really. could have been John Doe. It would have been an interesting choice. Mm. I, I bet he, yeah, I wonder if he like auditioned for it in a completely different tone rather mm. than like the just the, the stoic. one note. Mm. Yeah. I really hope he auditioned for it as the police captain. Oh my God. <laughs> this isn't even my car. Like, completely wrong for the part. Yeah. But we have this. These aren't thing. my fingerprints. <laughs> <laughs> they all deserved it. You know how it is. Ah, oh, gluttony, green. I killed your wife. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> David Fincher said on the DVD commentary that he felt bad for the actor who had to wear all the hot, heavy, gluttony prosthetics. So to compensate, he made him well endowed. And I don't... I, think... Oh, I did notice that. I did notice that. that. Yeah, mm. I did notice the, like, larger-than-average penis on him. <laughs> yes, I can tell if it was larger-than-average or just big in comparison. Mm. Yeah. But it is pretty forefront in a shot. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just in the one shot. Yeah. 
but it does stand out. And I like that David Fincher has gone, you know what? <laughs> just yeah, just because this then. thing is real hot and heavy, should we make you hot and heavy as well? <laughs> yeah. While you drown in spaghetti. It's like, you win some, you lose some. And the final bit of trivia, and my favourite thing that I've, I've read for this. When filming the sloth victim scene, the SWAT officers were not told that the victim was still alive. So when uh, the actor coughs and scares oh. the, squat, the SWAT officers, that's a real reaction. Oh, so that is actually it. Dr. Perry Cox going, yes. what the hell? That's so good. Yeah. And like, especially when he's like real up close, like he would have been told to deliver that line of like, you deserve this. Yeah. And then the second he's like, oh! Yeah. So that was a genuine that reaction. perfect. And I, I, I only read that after we watched the film <laughs> when I quickly compiled the rest of the trivia and mm, yeah that's great I, it works really well yeah very very well placed so all that being said it's time to score Ooh. the film and Andrew you get to go first because it was your first time watching seven yeah. what score are you going to give it out of ten I mean I'm tempted to say seven out of ten but that oh it, yeah <laughs> I, it, it's more than that I, I'm going to give it I'm going to give it eight and a half sins out of ten mm. Very nice. Check another two and a half on there. We can come up with new sins. Yeah. yeah. I think it's time. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think we've yeah. advanced the point. Yeah. We can add some more sins. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ray? I am going to give it... Uh, yeah. Watching it again, like it was probably better than I um, remembered. Hmm. So I'm going to give it a eight and a half upside down pictures out of ten. Mm-hmm. But it's modern art, so can you even tell? Can you even tell? Yeah, I was surprised she figured that out. I know. Especially but... in a state of shock. Yeah. Although that said, yeah, with the little the blood rings around the eyes, she's looking at the painting, it all, all makes sense. It does mm-hmm. all make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been very upfront about how much I enjoyed this. <laughs> and I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about it is it reminded me so much of the video game Heavy Rain, um, which is a video game fincher-esque style story Mm. which i now realize basically just went oh we're gonna make seven the video game basically (laughs) um but that that was such a a, an interesting story about uh tracking down a serial killer and and things of that nature and i i feel as though these films um about serial killers quite often get caught up particularly when it's the like real life ones when it's like a ted bundy story or something i feel as though they get very caught up in trying to figure out who the person is and the the serial killer becoming uh celebrity like Uh, and it it, just because they are someone who is beyond the norm and Mm. they're doing these horrific things and it's something that I personally find quite uncomfortable about how we cover serial killers. I, I feel as though we shouldn't. Mm, there shouldn't we, be they so shouldn't much have. Hype. Yeah, they, they're notable, mm. but I feel as though they get too close to, in some cases, even veneration. Like something like Hannibal, which I know is complete fiction and I know it's complete nonsense. I still feel as though you know it's kind of like oh, but look how clever he is and mm-hmm. things like that and. And I, a little bit of me kind of goes, oh, yeah, but he does horrible things. I feel as though Seven really doesn't do that. Mm. Yeah, they, they have that conversation in the in the bar that I really like where Mills is, is insistent, this is a crazy person, which is a rhetoric yeah. that gets thrown around with, with mm. murderers all the time. They're yeah. crazy, and that, that's very harmful language. And he's like, this is just a crazy man running around. And Somerset 
shoots back with, you think he's the devil, but he's just going to be a man. Yeah. Mm. And I think this film, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, I don't know if celebrates the right word, but I'm going to use it. It doesn't celebrate what serial killing is. Mm. It certainly is a piece of entertainment made off fictional uh, horrific acts and makes you question this very real thing that particularly in American culture at that time, serial killers from like the 70s through to the 1990s were were fairly notorious. Mm. There was this whole culture around them. But I feel as though Seven, one of the things that really impressed me is, yeah, I, I just didn't get the impression that at any point you were meant to think, oh my goodness, how did John Doe do this in the aren't they so clever kind of way? Mm. I think it was it was interesting and it was fascinating, but at no point did I feel as though it was being glorified. And I think yeah. that's just a really important thing to, to throw in there um, mm. because I think it is an issue with a lot of serial killer-based media. So, having said that, uh, I think um, when it comes to a film that is as well made as this, I always like to sit there and think, could they have made it any better? And I don't think they could have made it any better. So I am not going to hesitate in giving it 10. Wow. Switchblades into the dartboard out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) All of a bullseye. Little little angry Morgan Freeman. He broke his metronome and then I'm going to show him. Just throwing it over his shoulder into the the dartboard. Um, it It was a real pleasure getting to watch this film with both of you, even if the film itself is not one that you can say, boy, I enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> so- I'm glad I did this with people around. Yes. Not just like a late night by myself film. Yeah. This is weirdly a communal film. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. So uh, Andrew and Rihanna, thank you so much for joining me oh, on this thank episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Hey, Normally, this is the bit where I do the spiel about we've got a Patreon, we've got a Facebook, and we've got places you can subscribe. That's still coming. But just before I jump into that, I'd just like to say that um, we review things on here, so it's only fair that you get to review us. Uh, We are on, obviously, lots of different podcasting platforms, iTunes being one which has reviews. If you want to go on there and give us a review, let's just say five stars, just as a random (laughs) number that you can pick. If you want to go on there and give us a five-star review and leave your comment, please do. Uh, It would be really great to see some of your feedback, and it also helps us in terms of other people picking up the show. So if you want to recommend, just look for us on iTunes, go down there, leave your comment, leave your review. It would be much appreciated. While you're there, you might as well subscribe. There's going to be an episode each and every week. I told you this bit was coming. We're also available to be subscribed to on soundcloud and spotify and other podcasting and podcatching services uh we are on facebook you can actually let us know what you think there as well uh, just search for the cinema catch-up club page on facebook and we do have that patreon you can become an exclusive member of the club and get some bonus goodies there as well for as little as a dollar a month just join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast but that's all for this week so until next time goodbye bye, bye. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit 
thoughtjarproductions.com.